最前沿的科学研究。Ventilator associated respiratory infections are a major cause of mortality worldwide, and these infections affect up to one in four patients that undergo mechanical ventilation. These infections pose a unique challenge as respiratory pathogens are often antibiotic resistant, and they form a type of barrier called a biofilm that further reduces antibiotic effectiveness. Luckily, researchers are developing novel treatments that will pit bacteria against bacteria to eliminate these infections. This is Science Rehash, the podcast where we offer a window into life science research to anyone in the world with an internet connection. I'm Leila. And I'm Mehdi, and we are your science rehashed co-hosts. We'd like to thank Untapped Resources for sponsoring Science Rehashed. Untapped Resources is a Boston-based foundation that funds the arts, sciences, education, and creative initiatives of people working to improve lives, celebrate community, and solve local problems. With support from the Untapped Resources Grant Program, we are committed to making science more inclusive and accessible for scientists and the science curious worldwide. For this episode, we met with Dr. Maria Lushsenar, a biotechnologist and co-coordinator of MycosyncBac, a project focused on engineering mycoplasma bacteria for treatment of diseases. Dr. Lush Sanar recently published a paper in Nature Biotechnology entitled "Engineered Live Bacteria Suppress Pseudomonas aeruginosa Infection in Mouse Lung and Dissolve Endotracheal Tube Biofilms," which is a proof-of-concept study on how mycoplasma can be engineered and used against ventilator-associated respiratory infections. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Yuxanara, and we are so happy, really, to have you. Before we dive into the details of your research, would you mind telling our audience a bit about yourself? So I'm Maria. I did my、uh, PhD in biotechnology and doctor in biotechnology after at the Autonoma University in Barcelona. Then I did a postdoc and I was as associate researcher at the Center for Genomic Regulation in the group of design of biological systems. And there, I had the opportunity to work in systems and synthetic biology, and to coordinate a team of fifteen scientists. And we did the proof of concept that we can、uh, rationally engineer a bacteria, Mycoplasma pneumoniae, to treat respiratory diseases. With that novel technology, I seized the opportunity to become entrepreneur, and I'm one of the co-founders of Pulmo Biotics, the company that I'm recently is. Directing as a scientific chief officer, and basically this my story. That is so exciting. I actually, before I did my PhD when I was an undergrad, I worked at the Wies Institute here in Boston, which is also a biologically inspired rational design、uh, institute in Penn Silver and Jeff Way's lab. So my origins are in rationally engineering bacteria. So this is so exciting to me to get to, to speak with you. And so, as you mentioned briefly, your research for the past decade seemed to focus on genetic engineering of mycoplasma for these、uh, respiratory interventions. And you also hold this unique role as co-coordinator of MycoSynVac. 
What was your inspiration that actually led you to this transition to working with bacteria for medical therapeutics? We started with the biological question of can we understand a living system? And once we understand it, can we do rational engineer to develop applications? So that was our, our question in the lab. So we started being a, a lab of systems biology. So by applying different omic approaches, proteomics, transcriptomics, and metabolomics, we try to characterize mycoplasma pneumonia, which is a model of minimal bacteria, which has one of the smallest genome of any bacteria that can be grown in an axenic culture. Uh, by doing all the omics, with the idea of if we have all this quantitative data, can we integrate this in a computational wholesale model to use as a predictive tool to know in advance how we can modify the genome to design applications? And we choose a bacteria of the respiratory tract because respiratory diseases are among the ten main causes of death worldwide. In my Cosimac project, the idea behind this project was more to do the first step of Let's do a, a therapy more orientated to vaccines. In fact, the project is designed in a multivalent vaccine for animals. So the idea was uh, use this chassis, this attenuated bacteria, to expose on the surface antigens against pathogens that are infecting different animals and different pathogens. So uh, it was not the application for human health at this moment because we didn't have even the tools, and we thought, okay, let's do this basic research of understanding bacteria, developing tools, and do the proof of concept in animals, that the bacteria is safe, and that it can expose antigens on the surface, and if it can vaccinate, that's perfect. If not, at least we will have all this proof of concept that we can, we can use and engineer the bacteria. But surprisingly, we found that this engineer attenuated bacteria exposing antigens was also protecting in animals against different pathogens. So then, but with all this, we decided to move for, from human health and to design this product for treating the ventilator-associated pneumonia. This infectious disease caused by pseudomonas and other oh, staphylococcus aureus also, and these biofilms, they form these biofilms that are difficult to target by antibiotics. And so this was all the rational and how the project evolved across the years. This, this is all fascinating to us, and, and, and thank you for saying what, what sparked your interest in using oily the bacteria for medical purposes and the ultimate goal of mycosync back. Can you walk us through the specific challenge presented by respiratory infections and what is the current antibiotic therapies and why we need new interventions like the one that you presented in the Nature Biotechnology paper? In ventilator-associated pneumonia, is a disease that affects the patients that are in intensive care units. They are intubated and they are very susceptible to the infectious caused by Staphylococcus aureus and Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Those pathogenic bacteria form thick layers, which are very difficult to target by using antibiotics. Neither the immune system can cross these barriers and can act and eliminate the bacteria. So this is an intrinsic uh, resistance mechanism against the antibiotic treatment and against the immune system. Is the biofilm just really like a wall? You want to break it? Because even like we can use these small drug delivery system to bypass the biofilm to reach the bacteria. How it complicates the treatment of bacteria? So the pathogenic bacteria can be in a mode of infections where they are proliferating and moving in the in different places or in the body, or they 
the on to the epithelial cells, they start to proliferate and create those biofilms that is a way to protect them and to, to generate these chronic infections that allow the bacteria to stay longer periods of time because they are protected. So what they do is start to grow, forming these networks, these layers uh, that are composed by bacteria, but also by uh, subproducts like uh, sugars, like uh, proteins, like DNA, that are resultant of the metabolism of them growing or because they are lysated and they are eating there all the material DNA and, and different cell components. And at the end, it's like a, a matrix, like a network, like a, a wall. I say a wall because it's like, uh, yes, yeah, more like a network with holes, but the size of the holes every time that they are growing more and more is becoming smaller and more smaller. So the access of the therapies, the access of the immune system is very difficult. So bacteria are protected because at the end, they are like behind all this biofilm, this thick layer. And so crossing for the different therapies to cross this barrier every time is more difficult. So it's like a protective barrier for the pathogenic bacteria. This is amazing. Also, the bacteria become resistant and, and in the patients that are intubated, so the, there is a, the, the antibiotics are not working and there is a high mortality rate that can reach the 15%. Nowadays, with the, also the increase of COVID, and, and with the COVID and increase of or number of patients are in the intensive care units, this incidence has, has increased a lot. So there is a big problematic with the anti resistance to antibiotics by this mechanism of by these biofilms for by the, those pathogenic bacteria. I assume this problem is even further exacerbated in countries where antibiotic prescription is less regulated and many antibiotics are available on household shelves. So at the end, the problem of the resistance to the antibiotics is the abuse and, and also the fact of not using when it's necessary or, or really following all the treatment in the correct ways. And sometimes happens that since you don't need the antibiotic and you are having this just in case, if you go with more control, but as you said, depending on the place, then the situation can happen. So at the end, the bacteria, the resistance to antibiotics is a, is a problem recognized by the World Health Organization as one of the main problems and, and infections caused by salmonella cerealinos and the resistances associated to them is also a big problem. Uh, so we have engineered a bacteria that is present in the lab to produce in a continuous and local manner different therapeutic agents, different proteins that are enzymes that can combine different modes of action providing a solution which is making holes in the, those biofilms, no? destroying those biofilms, and also at the same time producing antimicrobial peptides or, or proteins that uh, can kill the pathogenic bacteria. Are you wondering what our team is up to and want to get to know us better? Follow us on Instagram, where you can learn more about our talented team from around the world. Our interests go far beyond science, from illustration to bike riding and more. You can find us on Instagram at Science Rehashed. That's at Science R-E-H-A-S-H-E-B. Peer into the lives of our team members during their Instagram takeovers. We love featuring our cats. And have more fun with us through giveaways and quizzes. Could you walk us through what makes mycoplasma uniquely suited for an intervention like this? 
using mycoplasma was also a challenge because at the time that we started, there were not genetic tools to engineer its genome, but also at the same time, it had some intrinsic features, like it doesn't have cell wall, uh, the small genome that I mentioned, that it's easier to characterize by these omics approaches. Uh, the fact that it doesn't recombine and it doesn't have conjugation and it doesn't have any way to to move the genome from one bacteria to other or material from one bacteria to the other is an intrinsic biosafety mechanism. That is a challenge because then for doing engineering, you cannot use homologous recombination. But we, in this Mycosima project, we were developing genetic tools. Took us a long time to implement all the genetic toolkit. Uh, but nowadays, we can modify the genome of the bacteria without leaving any scars, any resistance marker, and just using oligos. So it has been a, a lot of work of synthetic biology and, and developing tools and the, uh, understanding the biology of the bacteria, system biology also. And I think that in this Mycosigma project, we learned a lot about the bacteria. We identified the virulence factors because also this mycoplasma pneumonia causes a typical pneumonia. So which a bacteria that is present in most population in the lungs. Uh, so when patients are immunodepressed, it can cause a typical pneumonia, but it can be treated by using antibiotics. But at the end, if you want to use as a delivery system, you want a bacteria that is safe. So we need to remove all the virulence factors of the bacteria. So we had to identify them. And uh, we did by, by doing a comparative uh, analysis of the genome of different bacteria that cause the disease, the transcriptome, the proteome, and identifying the genes that are important. And then by implementing the tools, we remove them and we show that the bacteria is attenuated and safe. Your study used mouse models, and one of the first steps was that the mice could actually be an effective host for the mycobacterium pneumoniae, right? And then after that, you removed the pathogenic genes from the stream. And so how did you find this balance, right, of attenuating the bacteria and removing the pathogenicity while also maintaining this ability to colonize within the lungs? It's a very good point. So at the end, it's very important to know which factors you can remove and you can maintain the functions that you want for the bacteria to become a chassis, not to become a delivery system. So we did the first study that was published in Molecular Systems Biology in a mammary gland model because in mice, because it's very easy in this model to study the cytotoxic effect because the, we found that mycoplasma wild type was producing hemorrhagic lesions in the mammary glands, the wild type strain. So we started by, after doing all systems biology approaches and the study of the bibliography, having a, a list of candidate genes that we could remove to obtain the attenuated strain. So we generate the strains of the different depleted genes, and we test the different knockouts in these mice models, in these mammary glands models, to identify the combination of the genes and also the combination that is better to have the attenuated strain. So based on this, on this preliminary chassis, we tested later in the lung of mice because it's the site of action. And we did histopathology, we did a study of the immune response and also the maintenance based of how the bacteria is maintained. Because in fact, we were thinking to remove also 
a gene, which is the GLPD, it's described also in the paper, which is involved in the peroxide production. And in fact, uh, we didn't do this at the end because, as you mentioned, in the lungs, there is not glucose as carbon charge, it's more the glycerol. And so if we were removing this gene, the bacteria was not surviving longer time. And also it was washed very fastly by the immune system and it didn't have time to, to produce the action. But also we found that there was a, not a, an additional effect of in the attenuation in the mammary glands by removing this gene. So it was not adding any extra, but it was more the contrary, you know, that it was affecting the maintenance of the bacteria in the lung and it was not interesting for the application that we wanted to, to do. So at the end, it's always the, the biosafety is the first, well, but once you have seen that the bacteria is attenuated, so you have to study also the maintenance, the time that the bacteria can stay in the lung, and sometimes you have to optimize also the chassis to ensure that is the is there enough time to to produce the, uh, all the agents to have the therapeutic effect. And the therapeutic effect there where it comes also the antibiofilm capabilities. So how was this pneumonia and pneumonia genetically engineered to target biofilm? So first we we were expressing different enzymes, the, the PLAH, PCLGH, A1A1A3, well three, and also the apiosin. The three first are like enzymes that are targeting different components of the biofilm matrix, polysaccharides mainly, uh, and alginate, and also that it's also the main, another of the main components. And the biosin is a, a protein, an antimicrobial agent that disrupts and generates pores in the membrane of the pathogenic bacteria. It's a, a toxin, it's like a, a toxin for the bacteria. Um, so, we first test uh, the in fact the A one the alginate lyase. It's a novel alginate lyase that is working against different types of uh, alginates in different biofilms formed by different uh, strains. And we previously identified in another another work because there are a lot of different alginate lyases, but we characterize first. Which were the which was the optimal one to assemble in this genetic So let's say that we identify the best enzymes and the combinations of the best enzymes. Then we assemble them in genetic payloads that we transform in different mycoplasma chassis traits, obtaining different strains and characterizing them in vitro in biofilm assays by crystal violet and also in vivo, then to identify which was the best combination of the different agents. And we end up with these four proteins that are the optimal one to degradate and to, to eliminate those biofilms. How did this integrated computational model lead to all of all of these changes? Like how what was this process of iterating back and forth? Well, in fact, I was to be sincere, at the end the, the computational model that we have was not very predictable predictive. So so we could study maybe the fitness or the impact that it could have in growth, but obviously we were not integrating data of biofuels or the effects. So it was not so helpful for identifying the genes that we have to put in the payloads to obtain an effective strain. 
it was more a matter of testing, doing rational combinations and, and searching at the bibliography for activities. So the model was more helpful for studying the impact that the depletions, the, the lesions of the genes could have in the chassis. In terms of the metabolism, as I was explaining you before, no, where we were removing the GLPD, was predicting that the bacteria could grow worse in the absence of glycer or lining path before the, obviously the glycer is essential. So it was helping us to direct that, to define this list of genes that we should remove or characterize for the attenuation of the strain and not the, the genes that we can include in the bacteria to design or define the therapeutic activity. And so once this bioengineering process was complete, right, and you were able to attenuate it nicely, can you walk us through what your team actually found in the final efficacy trials? So, yeah. So in fact, what we found was to that we could increase the survival of, of the animals, of mice models that had an, attenuate, uh, an, uh, an acute infection by Pseudomonas aeruginosa. We found that we can increase the survival of the animals to the 50%. And also, uh, we found in endotracheal tubes of intubated patients, so patients that were having ventilator-associated pneumonia, we collect tubes from the hospital, and we tested our therapy in these two tubes, and we found that it was destroying completely those biofuels that had been found in the tubes of these intubated patients. And we are collaborating also with the Hospital Clinic of Barcelona. They have a model of ventilator-associated pneumonia in pigs, because the pigs are, uh, let's say, the upper building, obviously, but the lungs of the pigs is very similar to the humans. And they have also a modern panic pig that is uh, accepted for testing all the drugs for the treatment of BAP or infectious diseases. Now we are collaborating with them and we have preliminary data showing that also in these models. So this will be like the next step in terms of before going to regulatory and clinics, testing another animal model, different to mice, that really the therapy also is working. Yeah. Would this therapy be used alone or would you, are you envisioning it being used synergistically with other antibiotics and other treatments? Yes. So that's a, an important point. So at the end, we are envisioned that we will combine this with antibiotics. In fact, in this experiment with endotracheal tubes of patients, we show that the standard of care antibiotics that are not, were not working in those patients because the biofilms, when we combine with our treatment, they start to work and they work more efficiently. So there is a synergistic effect is better. And the, the, one of the advantages for engineered bacteria is that it doesn't have cell wall. So the fact that it doesn't have cell wall, it allows to, it can be combined with antibiotics target the cell wall of pathogenic bacteria. So we can combine our treatment with antibiotics and, and this synergistic effect we have seen that is very effective in these endotracheal tubes of intubated patients. If you're enjoying the show and want to help us keep making content, please consider becoming one of our patrons on Patreon. Find us at patreon.com slash join slash science rehashed to become a patron for just $3 a month, or even become a VIP patron for just $5 a month. Our first 10 VIP patrons will receive a free Science Rehash water bottle. That's patreon.com slash join slash science rehashed to join. 
you mentioned this is going to be a very good therapy for acute infection. How about chronic infection? Well, in fact, we have shown in an acute model of mice that it works. And the biofilms usually are formed in chronic models, in chronic infections. But in mice, it's very difficult to develop a biofilm in the line and do doing that chronic model. So it, in the model of the pigs, it's more easy to develop these biofilms in the endotracheal tubes and to characterize this in vivo. So we, we have designed this treatment for chronic diseases. We have run the proof of concept in a model of an acute disease, but the treatment is designed for those those chronic infections or this, well, these biofilms that are more associated with chronic infections because biofilms because antibiotics are not working. So I, we have seen that at least in, in this acute model where we are not sure that in the lung of the mice is formed the biofilm because it's very difficult to track there, that the treatment is working very well and the infection is eliminated by the bacteria. And uh, so uh, as we were saying, the next step is in this big models to corroborate that really is working because in those models we are sure that biofilms are forming these on the tracheal tubes and we can track them well in vivo. And you have tested this in vitro, not in the mice, because the mice you can't track if there is a biofilm built up. You tested in vitro that it can really destroy the biofilm, which is very promising proof of principle experiment. Yeah, so in, in vitro we have proof that the biofilm is formed and it's destroyed. And, and also, uh, we have a preliminary, we have a data uh, that we destroy a biofilm form in vivo um, in mice, but this biofilm is not forming the lung, it's forming in, the track, in, in tubes, so in catheters. So pre, we pre-inoculate it with uh, Staphylococcus aureus in this case, a catheter, and we insert intradermally into the mice. And then the biofilm is forming in vivo, and then we treat it with the engineered bacteria, uh, engineered to destroy biofilm formed by Staphylococcus, and the biofilm was completely eliminated. And in this case, we were seeing the biofilm because in the, 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 these tubes you can remove them and check that the biofilm is formed or destroyed. Uh, and so there are also evidences in vivo that are destroying biofilms, but in the lung of mice, you cannot do this visualization of the biofilm in these models. Wonderful. So we speak about the future steps and taking this from the bench to the bedside. Let's let's talk about some of the considerations that we want to have. Is there a risk that therapeutic bacterial strain could revert through a more pathogenic forms? And how can this be prevented? So the, the advantage of, of mycoplasma it, is that it doesn't recombine. It cannot change DNA because it doesn't conjugate. Also, um, so the modifications that we have done in the genome is removing all the virulence factors. And so, so the, we have tested that the bacteria and the genome of the bacteria is stable. It means that after doing different passages, generations in vitro and vivo, it's not changing. I've done my ultrasequencing. The mutation rate of the bacteria is very low because it divides very slowly every in the lab. So for obtaining a so it divides every eight hours. E. coli, which is the model of bacteria for different applications, divides every 20 minutes. So our bacteria 
device, there is no replicates, there is no, and it cannot recognize. So it's very stable. And in terms of acquiring new functions or passing new functions, it's not possible because it cannot transfer DNA to any other bacteria. Have you seen any negative effects in your mice as a result of this treatment? No. In fact, after uh, four, we are doing a single dose, and after four days, we have seen a decrease of the bacteria. And even after 14 days, we didn't detect the bacteria, so it's clear by the immune system because it's so, it's so simple, this bacteria minimal. And after removing all the violence factors, it just stays there. It produces the molecules, but with a single dose, and this device, it's only maintained for four days. Then it's clear and removed and cannot detect it anymore. And, and we haven't detected, we, well, we have done histopathology to identify lesions that are present in the lung. Uh, we have not seen significant lesions like the ones caused by pseudomonas in animals infected with the attenuated bacteria, attenuated mycoplasma. And in fact, even in the animals infected with the wild type, with the, with the strain that, that has all the virulence factors, after the 45 days, because we did also the test after 45 days to see if something happened in the lungs of, of mice, uh, even with the wild type that also have been removed by the immune system, the lesions that were produced at the beginning were a repair and there was any the lungs were were fine so with the chassis obviously the lesions were not even from the beginning but at the i am less at the end but for the wild type also it means that this bacteria naturally releasing the lung of mice is not generating lesions that are very severe or, or that really are producing a lot of damage to using legs can you walk our, our listeners through sort of some of the safeguards that you put on the bacteria? You know, like, um, I know that when we were thinking about engineering our bacteria, we had to think about, you know, how do we, you know, make sure that our bacteria can't recombine with a natural gut flora because we, we were operating the gut. And now I know that you specifically chose uh, this system because it doesn't do conjugation, doesn't share its genome. But yeah, if you could walk our listeners through, you know, if there's any potential for this therapeutic bacteria to re revert to more pathogenic strains um, and how it might be safeguarded against. Yeah, in fact, all bacteria can be easily eliminated by using antibiotics. Also, we have not included in this strain, but also in a parallel world, there are biosafety circuits that can be induced and kill the bacteria necessary in the moment that we want. And as I, as I was mentioning, bacteria is not able to conjugate or transfer DNA. And also, what is important is that since it doesn't have cell wall, it's very sensitive to the changes of pH. So when we deliver this intranasally, it's only located in the lung. So it cannot go to the to the intestine, to the gut, or to the any other organ where more bacteria are present and, and occur be some way that they can transfer DNA or transfer some material. So bacteria is specific from the lung and once that delivered, it cannot go to any other organ or tissue. So we are ensuring that we are doing local therapy in the lung. Wonderful. So what, what is the plan for translating this treatment to human use? And could it become as a prevalent as traditional antibiotics in the near future? So the next step in terms of the project development will be to validate the technique in, in pigs, as I was mentioning before, 
and also to ensure that we can manufacture at high scale and also formulate as a nebulizer, which is the, the idea, uh, to then having all the ANA, IND data that is necessary to go for the regulatory and then move for the safety or phase one clinical trials. That's the normal path. So we, we decided to do this startup, this company, trying to, to bring this solution to the, to the patients, to the people, the society. And, uh, and so we have been running la now like three years. And, but in fact, we realized that the potential of our technology opened us the opportunity to design a technological platform. So nowadays we are not just focusing in a product for treating the infectious diseases, but also for products to treat lung cancer and even an asthma. And in fact, we've got uh, different grants now that are supporting this initiative and that will allow us to develop at least to the preclinical phase, uh, which is a novel strategy to treat lung cancer and another to treat asthma. So it's not just the fact of, so, so we have the opportunity of our hands of developing different products to treat different respiratory diseases by using this attenuated bacteria as a chassis where we pay where we put or plug in different payloads that help us to develop or combine other applicate other activities that can be interesting to treat other complex diseases. And uh, so therefore the, also it depends on the on the investment that we get at the end, no, because as a company also and as a startup and a small company that we are, we need to raise money. Now we are dependent of us also raising a series A that will allow us to grow and to bring these products really to the to the clinical phase. Well, I wish we had like two more interviews back to back because I would love to talk to you about all of the asthma stuff and and the lung cancer stuff. And that's so interesting to me. But unfortunately, we don't. So I'm going to we'll have to loop back with you once you're doing some more of that work. That just all sounds amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much for your interest. It's it's our privilege and congratulations on all these amazing achievements to make a big impact, hopefully, in, in healthcare in the near future. So thank you for joining us today. And it was our privilege to talk to you. With antibiotic resistance such a pressing issue in healthcare, it is promising to learn about developments like this that could reshape the way that we approach bacterial infections. It's truly amazing what can be accomplished with biological engineering and all the doors that are opening in this realm. In our next episode, we will be diving into artificial intelligence and how language models can engineer artificial proteins. Stay tuned. You won't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Science Rehashed. This episode was written by Caitlin Holly and edited and mixed by Vesna Ilyeska. The cover art for this episode was made by our creative director, Emma Brand. We'd also like to thank the whole team of Science Rehashed for making this episode possible. Today, we're highlighting one of our Science Rehashed ambassadors, Ana Paula Lopez. 
Anna is a pediatric endocrinologist who believes that sharing knowledge is essential to creating a better world for every child. She wants research to be accessible for clinicians in Latin American countries. Thanks for being an ambassador, Anna. If you're interested in our ambassador program, find more information on our website, sciencerehash.com.